Welcome to Decoder Podcast, where we step inside the world of a software development agency and learn how bits and bytes become useful technology. Each episode features conversations with creators and users about the process, challenges, and fun of building software. Intended for a non-technical audience, this podcast will help you understand how software is built so you can more effectively engage with software developers for more successful projects. Hello, and welcome to Decoder Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today for our very first episode. I'm Sarah Altenhoff, SourceToad's Marketing and Communications Manager, and I'm joined today by Greg Ross-Monroe, CEO of SourceToad, and Greg 3G Hilferding, VP of Delivery at SourceToad. Hello. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Sarah. How are you? I'm doing well. How are both of you today? Hi, Greg. I, I am also doing great. Good. Well, I'm super excited to have you both here today to talk about software development. So let's dive in. Um, Greg, you often say in interviews or at talks you give or even here at the office, at the SourceToad office, that you think everyone should learn about software development. Why do you think that's important? So uh, the thing that I always say about software development is that the whole world is built these days on software. and a lot of people just don't know how it works, right? Um, a lot of the built world we live in, a lot of like the experiences we have as people, we have some idea of how it works, right? Like you drive past a construction site every day and you see them like putting down foundations, uh, the electrical goes in, the plumbing goes in. You're not an electrician, you're not a plumber, but you like, you know that there's stuff going through those tubes inside of the house and you see it get built up. And so as a result, it's kind of, it's super visible. Software, we play on our iPads every single day, or we are on our devices every moment, every waking moment. We spend every waking day on a Zoom or team calls for work. And yet most of us don't see that stuff getting built up. So considering that that's the world we live in, I think it's really important that you have some rough idea of like how the stuff is built. Yeah, and for me, I think it's just like all of the systems that we interact with are increasingly made in software. So it's not just the apps you use on your phone. It's the um, the companies that you buy like goods and services from. A lot of how they are making their decisions is based on software. A lot of the systems that we have in government are increasingly being like like created in software and then you're just interacting with kind of like the interfaces that they provide there. And if you don't know anything about how software is made or how those like algorithmic decisions are being handled by software, then you just kind of, the world's gonna become increasingly mysterious. And I think most of us wanna know how some things work. And that means learning about software. A a good example is um, uh, the other day I was having a conversation with with a, a friend and um, his wife at their house the other day, and they were concerned about the fact that their phones might be listening to them, you know, the Hey Siri stuff or Hey Alexa, and that those companies might be snooping on them. And when I tried to explain how that works, it was the first they'd ever heard of it. They, they, it was, um, uh, and they were like, well, well, then why does, why does, why do I get the ads? Like I was, we were talking about this thing earlier. And then I got an ad for it on my phone. So they must be listening. And 
I was actually able to explain that to them about how the whole process works and why that works. So there's just like, there's actually like underlying stuff in our society that people are worried about and concerned about that I think could be easily explained if you know how this stuff worked. Yeah, actually, would you mind giving a brief explanation? Because that happens to me too. Um, my husband and I'll be talking about something and then suddenly an hour later, I'm getting an ad for that. And I'm like, what? I'm super excited to hear Greg's explanation <laughs> of this first. <laughs> um, so, okay, so we've gone a little off track already. But, um, so, so uh, yeah, so the, your phone is not listening to you, although when I just said, hey, Siri, my phone like, beeped up and I'm going to turn it off. Um, so uh, typically your devices have two types of listening mode. One's like a low powered listening mode. So when I say, hey, Siri, which anyone listening to this, I hope I'm not triggering your <laughs> devices and I just triggered mine again. Like that low powered listening mode will then kick in and is actually gonna listen to you. And then it'll activate a, a much higher usage of battery and which will send it to the cloud for voice processing. So the phone's really only designed to like listen to that first little keyword. And then it sends it up to the cloud and then it does the voice processing and tries to give you what you want. Um, the, the feeling that this is like spying on you, that comes from a whole bunch of other technologies, which are that if you and your husband are talking about, I don't know, new brands of cat food, it's possible that he heard about a new brand of cat food from a friend and they're friends together on Facebook and they're in the same like kind of geographic location together. And so that Facebook decided that your, because your friend's friends started looking at cat food, that maybe that you should also look at cat food because you guys were in the same place together like three days ago because you were tagged in. And now because your husband then like maybe typed in something about a cat, that there's like a re-advertising system that like combines those two and serves that ad to you. And because of the serendipity of that feeling, it really feels creepy when it's served up to you. Your phone's not listening to you. That would just cost too much money for <laughs> bandwidth. Does that yes, answer your question? Yes. Well, I'm sure many of us are relieved to look. It's no less creepy. Don't get oh. me wrong. It's so freaking creepy. Yeah. So this is, it's, <laughs> it's creepy in a whole different way. And there's a couple like really interesting examples. You know, when you buy a brand new car, um, you get that, you get in that car and you start driving around and suddenly you see that car everywhere. Part of that, it's not that suddenly everyone is buying, like that the same day everyone bought that car. It's just that like you notice certain things more when there's like, when it's been like recent, when there's like a, a recent experience uh, that you've had about that. And so it's kind of that in reverse where like the, someone else in your network had that conversation or someone else in your network was Googling that or looking that up on Facebook or whatever. And then the algorithms that predict what we are interested in assumes that we must be also. So you kind of, it's kind of like the Mandela effect in reverse, but you don't get, you never see that they were searching for those things. And the only evidence you have is that like you talked about it and then the ad showed up. Frankly, I think the best evidence that they're not listening to you is just that like those systems don't work that fast. Like it, it actually needs like a little bit, uh, it needs like some data over a few days to be able to build up that model of like what they should be showing to other people. Yeah. That's probably why I get like all these D and D ads from you. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So to recap, 
It's basically important for everyone right. to learn how software is developed right. because we're all so entrenched in technology yeah. every day and having a better understanding of what's happening beyond our screens can help alleviate any anxieties we may have because we don't fully understand how these systems are working and how they're working together. So why don't we move on and talk about clients that SourceToad works with. Why do you think it's important for our clients to understand how we develop software? And does understanding SourceToad's process lead to better outcomes for our clients? I can, I can answer the first part of that and like from a selfish perspective and then I'll kick it, ask, ask Greg the same question. But obviously if you're the software developer, it makes sense to have somebody who A, has empathy for you, understands your processes. Like just being able to work with somebody um, and speak their language even a little bit generally helps any process go smoother, right? You don't have to be an expert in, um, uh, in software development to work with a team of software engineers, but it does like help to know when they say things like, what's the difference in a database and a spreadsheet? Or like, why do we have to index something? Or um, why am I using a framework versus building something from scratch? Or what are these libraries you keep talking about? Like just having some like, basic knowledge around these concepts will massively reduce like the friction between you and the team that you work with. So like it really helps the team that you're working on making sure that they understand that you care about what they're doing. And I know people are mostly outcomes based, but it does help to have some empathy and understanding of what people are doing, especially if they're building something that's important to you. I, I would think from Maybe Greg would have a different perspective. I mean, do you? What do you think? Do you think that like, is there actually any value like explaining something more than not having to explain something twice? Or I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, I mean, to me, I look at any kind of like if you're having anything custom made, right? Like you want to know a little bit about what that process is like. Um, if you've ever had like work done in your home. Um, and you know, you were presented with a bunch of decisions that you got to make, like it is important to know which of those decisions dramatically increased the cost and which of those decisions reduced the cost. Um, you know, I had a very, very simple, uh, uh, fireplace problem. We just want to like replace some tile. Um, and you know, thousands of dollars later, I learned a lot about how fireplaces work and how tiling works and how all of this stuff works. And if I hadn't done that, I would not have gotten the result that I wanted. I would have gotten a result. It would have checked the boxes for what, you know, we said, what we described in the first place, but we would not have been happy with it. And learning just a little bit there, like really kept it so that we were speaking intelligently to the people doing that work. Um, uh, and making sure that they understood what we wanted and what our priorities were. Well, <laughs> so I'm just going to say that. <laughs> yeah. So you've both been in the business of software development for many years, and you've used all this experience to help shape SourceToad's processes and how we approach things. So how would you describe SourceToad's philosophy on software development and how does our philosophy compare to other software development agencies? Yeah, so it's, it's a very good question. The, every company or everyone who's building software has uh, 
probably a different philosophy on how things done are done and how they're how they're going to generate the best outcomes for the people who want to use the software. And, and, and no one system is perfect. We've kind of developed our own processes for delivering uh, quality software um, in a timely manner for the for a value price that is designed for, I sound like a commercial now, but like, but, but, but is designed for external companies, right? So um, medium sized or large companies who don't have like their own internal software development teams come to us and we have built processes specifically to help them, right? Um, and that doesn't work for everybody, but it works really well for our particular client set. I think the, uh, the, the, what we kind of, what we try and emulate is that if you wanted to build software, like good enterprise scale software or kind of like large business software, that was like robust and worked well and scalable and all the kind of stuff that you want it to be. That in order to do that, you probably need to like hire a CTO who hires like a director of engineering and they hire um, like a scrum team with a, an architect and like two or three senior engineers and some mid-level engineers and then um, a QA person or two and a UX designer and a, and a graphic designer and uh, maybe some DevOps people we can talk about all probably do uh, episode on each one of those roles, but the once you've like done that, just to like assemble that package of people, it's going to probably take you years. And like those people have to like work out the systems and the processes and how they all work together and everything and how they're going to do it. And so I think what we've tried to do is try to like build a generic version of that that people can like fractionally rent a piece of, and it seems to work really well for us. And so it, I think that what makes good software is good teams. And those, like, the way those teams are assembled is super important. Uh, I mean, I'm going to ask Greg. Like, Greg, you probably think that, or 3G, you probably think that um, or feel that a lot of it is about the specific processes as well, though, right? Like the actual methodologies and the actual types of tools you use. I, I mean, you're much more in the weeds about that than I am. Yeah, I think there's a lot of different ways to come at this. Um, trying to step back out of the exact day-to-day -day process and just kind of the philosophy. What I would say is that, you know, our first philosophy is that we work with people who are experts at their industry. And we know that we're not going to become experts in every industry that we work with. But what we know about ourselves and what we focus on is being experts in the process of software development. So what we're always looking for is this idea of partnership where we take, uh, we meet a client who you know your business, you know your industry, you have your vision and we work with you and we know how to turn that into software, right? We know how to turn that into an actual product. That to me is kind of like, that's the philosophy. That's like at that level. And then the practice of putting that into play is a very collaborative process. And it's a process where both sides of that partnership have to be constantly learning. We have to learn from our clients about their industry. They learn from us about how software is built and the trade-offs involved in various decisions. And you know we've built a whole process around like making that partnership work really, really well and 
getting those learnings as fast as we possibly can. Because as, the faster everyone's learning, the, the faster the product um, achieves what it's supposed to achieve. I mean, I, you know, the, you can probably break down a hundred different things that we do that have taken us years and years to work out what the best way that they work are. Um, we could probably do an entire episode on like our agile processes, which is something that we would, we typically like talk about like, Hey, what's the right way to handle project management of, of a, so of a piece mm -hmm. of software. You know, we could probably talk for an hour about what's the best way to deploy software or to test it or to, um, to hire developers or to, you know, like how do you pick the right tools for the right job? Like what's the best way to engage in a new idea? Like how do you handle technical, technical debt? Every single one of these are the big, big concepts. And I think what it does is just takes time and energy to like work out what works best for you. And a lot of that is, uh, kind of worked out between the teams over years. You, you'll, you'll see like experienced teams kind of jump in together and start working kind of startup environments and they'll they'll each bring their specific expertise and they'll work very quickly together and that works great in some startup environments but like you can't build software that way for I don't know like government work when you've got to pass some sort of like regulatory compliance matrix or some awful sounding thing like that but um, so I think it's 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 individual to each client it's individual to each process it's individual to each like project and industry but what we have done and i think that makes us successful is like we've worked out how to learn very quickly about a new industry try and like build empathy for that client and the users that are going to use the software and then we have all these like interesting cool processes in place to make sure that we put something out that's really good yeah i love that i think that there's this another idea is that like our teams have built some incredible stuff for clients in like heavily regulated industries. And so we know how to build those like really robust, um, those really robust systems that check all the compliance boxes. But that team can also work on a startup where if you took all of those like regulatory needs and you actually did all of that work on that startup, that startup would might take a, a year to get to market. And if you're a startup, you can't spend a year getting to market. You have to get to market faster. And so the interesting thing is that our, you know, an agency should have, should be accumulating an enormous amount of knowledge about how to build software. But back to the philosophy, you have to build the right amount of software. You have to know where it makes sense to uh, build something incredibly robust and when it makes sense to build something that is a simple, like minimum viable product just to get the thing out in the market to learn what your customers need. Um, and that is a balancing act that is, you know, again, part of that partnership. You don't, you don't, you don't want to, you don't want to gold plate yeah. everything, Greg. You don't want to like no. serve up like everything no. with gold leaf on it. <laughs> sprinkle some salt down your own no we you know there's a gosh i think there's a really good example like um a login form you know where there's some really complicated login systems out there where like you can log in 
eight different ways. You can you know, have a code text message to you. You can log in with your, your Facebook account. You can do all of these different things. And we would not on every single project have all that functionality there unless it makes sense. And that is the, you know, I think when people talk about like hiring an experienced uh, agency or just hiring experienced engineers, it's not that they know how to make everything like perfect and amazing and whatever. A lot of it's knowing like how much to build, like because ultimately every single thing that we're doing is time limited. Like even if you had all the budget in the world, you still have, you still want to get to market. You still want to like have your software make, uh, make the world better or make your business better or whatever. And you can't spend years, uh, you can't spend years doing that. You want to get something out there fast. Just don't have all the time in the world, Sarah, to develop the next best system that's going to take your data from your friends and serve you better cat food ads. We're going to just do it as quickly as we can. <laughs> that's, that's the goal. Better cat food ads for you tomorrow. <laughs> well, uh, what better way to close the episode than with that? Um, this was really fun. Thank you, Greg and Greg, for chatting with me today. Um, I hope that the listeners enjoyed our conversation. And if you are interested in more insight into the world of software development, then be sure to like, subscribe, and follow Decoder Podcast. And we'll see you next time. Goodbye.